welcome to the Cutaways Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Justine. So every week on our show, we turn to Netflix to watch romantic comedies. We are watching them in chronological order to gain insight and context to the genre. And because it's a lot of fun. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're having a grand old time over here. (laughs) So what are we watching today, Justine? Well, today we have 1943's The Crystal Ball. Okay. It's an hour and 21 minutes, so a little shorter than what we've been watching lately. It has one of the weirdest descriptions I've ever read. Yeah. A beauty pageant loser takes a job subbing for the ailing head of a fake psychic's racket and advises an attorney to purchase some valuable property. There's some total romance going on in this. (laughs) I'm like, what? I don't know what a psychic's racket is. Is that like... It's it's fake psychic. Fake business? Yeah, some sort of fake psychic business, but then the fake psychic has gotten sick, so this beauty pageant loser subs in and then meets this attorney and then gives him a false prediction, and then where that goes, I have no idea how that leads to love. Nope. Me neither. We'll find out. Um, it's starring, uh, Ray Milland, Paulette Goddard, and Gladys George, and directed by Elliot Nugent. These are people that I don't know. Yeah, sorry. This one, I'm just not feeling it, although it's three and a half stars on Netflix, which is half a star more than the last film we watched. Yeah, that is true. I wonder if this is one of those instances where Netflix is just, like really ridiculous with its descriptions because it's a weird it is i don't understand why this would be funny or romantic or why it would be in this category at all based on the description yeah although i do enjoy that like you cannot pitch this film today no this would not work today this would be like thrown out yeah like somebody would read a tagline and be like yeah, no. You no. a receptionist would read the tagline and say no, go home. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to be. I'm not looking forward to it. To we got to watch it. Yeah, no. All right. Let's go watch it then mm-hmm. begrudgingly. <laughs> yeah. So that happened. Yeah, that was a movie. I'm all it, it I think we're both asleep now. <laughs> yeah, it was dull. We're like, hey guys, we just watched this movie and um and it's like mm-hmm. it's like midnight talk show on the radio. <laughs> Listen to our sultry soothing voices. Yes. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to the Cutaways podcast. <laughs> Where we will discuss your romantic endeavors. Yes. Through comedy form. Yes. Yes. I don't know if that'll pick up any of it. (laughs) We talk so quietly, we'll never hear the review. Okay, so... We just watched The Crystal Ball. Yeah. It was not good. But it wasn't, like, so bad it's funny. It was so bad it's boring. It was really boring. Yeah. Yeah, I think there were times where there it could have been funny or cute, and it just wasn't done well. Long-winded. Yeah, and no one had any chemistry. No. Like, blonde lady. I was, like, somewhat intrigued from the beginning because I was like, what the hell is this maid doing? Um, it opens up with a maid, like, dusting. I say that very loosely. Sneaky housekeeper. Yeah, there we go. Sneaky housekeeper. And she's like opening up jewelry boxes and randomly grabs this ring. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, her, the woman that she works for is in the shower. Yeah. We find out to be uh, Mrs. Ainsley. Oh, I did not know her name. Joe Ainsley. Okay. See, this is how boring this movie was. Names were not Names were very difficult. I feel like this movie took a step back. From the last movie? From, like, two movies ago. Two or three movies ago, where we were like, oh, I know these people's names and what's happening. It's oh, one of like, these again where I'm like, I don't know. 
But it wasn't like we're going, like, all the way back to a 1918 movie where we're not really sure on everybody's motives. Mm-hmm. We were kind of sure on most people's motives, sort of. But, dude, it was so stretched out. This was, like, supposed to happen in, like, a week. Oh, yeah? I guess. I don't know. It was in New York. Didn't get that. They said New York. It was in dialogue. They said New York. And I was like, oh, another movie in New York. It's well, like every movie. third in a row. Just about every movie we've watched has took place at least somewhat in New York, aside from the first one. I think it's because, like, Los Angeles wasn't really a city at that point. It existed. It just, um, they were, like, pretty much boroughs connected by trains. It wasn't really... Uh, a thing? Yeah, it wasn't okay. until, like, the freeway that you get, like, real L.A., I feel. Oh, the freeway. <laughs> yep. That's how That's how much we loved this movie. We're going to talk about the freeway. Let us <laughs> tell you about the Los Angeles freeway. <laughs> that would be more ins- exciting than this movie. Okay, so let's, let's get it over with. Yeah. Um... So the woman's in the shower and the housekeeper's hiding her jewels. She hides her ring in the sink. Yeah. Um, and then when the woman gets out of the shower, she goes, Oh no, I can't uh, find your ring anymore. I must have misplaced it somewhere. And the blind woman's like, Oh, I'll call the police. And then the maid's like, No, don't call the police because they'll accuse me of doing it. And, you know, I've only worked here for a few weeks and something sob story. She's like... Okay, I won't call the police. And the maid's like, hey, you know what? You could go to the psychic, and she could find it. And then the blonde woman is like, okay. Yeah, that's pretty much how that scene played out. It was really like, this is what we're going to do in the movie. I don't know. I didn't like this scene because nothing... It's a big setup for... What came came to be. Yeah, but it's just like not even... Like, if the movie was about the housekeeper, if it was about the psychic, I would see yes, but it's not about those people. No. So we have this very large setup scene, you know, just pretty much to establish that the psychic's a crook. Yeah. Which isn't that hard to establish. Well, when did psychics become real, real popular to that degree? Maybe around the time of this movie. Okay. Because maybe, maybe it wasn't well established. Like, we, we, come, we live in a different time. We live in a different type of culture. We live in... No, I'm just saying they could have established the psychic was a crook when she was talking to our, like, uh, our main yeah. character. We don't need, like, this whole other... Oh, I didn't need this scene at all. The no. only thing that it established was that blonde lady is really gullible and will believe anything she's told. Yeah. And she was not that fascinating of a character. But yeah, so then it cuts to the 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 housekeeper at the psychic pretty much telling her, "Yeah, this is the details on the woman and the gem and where she can find it." So, yes, they connect the two. She's in the racket there. Um but then our um lead female uh Tony Tony Gerard is her name. She shows up to see the psychic, which yeah. is weird. She shows up to see the psychic to spend her last 38 cents on her fortune because she just lost a beauty pageant. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why. I. She has nowhere to sleep. She has no money. She lost a beauty pageant. She's from Texas. <laughs> and her, gran- her grandpa or her father? I don't remember who it was. Her patriarchal figure in her family... Decided to tell her that beauty pageants are a waste of time, and he wasn't going to put up with it. And so she doesn't want to go back to Texas, because it would take a lot of groveling, and a lot of apologizing, and a lot of butt-kissing. Mm-hmm. And so she wants to know what her future, her future holds. Um, but then for some reason, uh, Madame Zenobia, that's the psychic's name, uh, just... I just called her Madame Z. Yeah, it just gets real straight with her. Yeah. For some reason. She, like, takes a liking to her for some reason. She liked her legs. Yeah. It didn't... <laughs> I didn't know if maybe, like, there was a, a connection, like, oh, 
you remind me of my child or my daughter or whatever, so I'm going to help you out because I feel bad for you. I don't know why, but I feel like she definitely, she's intended to bring her in on the little con circus family that they have yeah. there for whatever reason, um, because uh, Tony says, because she's from Texas, she of course can't shoot very well. <laughs> so yep. um, the next door neighbor is a shooting gallery to the psychic, um, which yeah, it's yeah. like, do you live at a carnival? Yeah. It's a shooting gallery, and she's like, I can set you up with the guy who owns a shooting gallery, and all you need to go there and shoot to get other people to shoot. Yeah, shoot until there's a big line waiting for, like, behind you, and then leave, change into a different outfit, and then come back. Yeah, so it's a keep con. the customers going. Yeah. Um, so she gets her a job, and then she tells her she can stay at her place. Yep. Yeah. Again, this is, it's it's another scene of, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's, it, there's too much tell, not enough show. Yeah, and then, um, Mrs. Ainsley shows up to the psychic, and then the psychic tells her where her ring is. Yeah. It's, it's basically the first 15 minutes of the movie feels like the first 30 minutes. Everything is elongated in this movie. Mm-hmm. So while, um... Mrs. Ainsley is seeing the psychic. Tony's next door at the shooting gallery shooting because automatically she's got the job. Like, it was like, I'm going to go show you to my friend. And then we see her shooting. Yeah. Um. So Mrs. Ainsley's attorney is just hanging out outside waiting for her. And this is our, our lead guy, Brad Cavanaugh. With his driver fellow. Yeah. I call him his assistant. His butler. Yeah, his butler driver. His man in waiting. Biff was his name? Something like that? I don't, I did not catch a name ever. I caught, like, that his, his girlfriend's name was, like, Leanna. I don't know. Something like that. They Um, were, it was like one of those, this, this is what it felt like to me. If, if you were standing outside and you overheard somebody's conversation, would you really remember exactly everything that happened in that conversation? Because that's what this felt like. This felt like an overheard conversation that I didn't really care about. Yeah, I'd, like, come into <laughs> scenes and I'm like, what are they saying? I yeah. I don't know. And then they're off. And I'm like, well, I don't know what's happening, but... Yeah, and it just, it felt so long. It took forever to get to the actual supposed romance and it happens in this scene, sort mm-hmm. of, but... Yeah, Tony, our gal, sees Brad, our guy, and she is smitten by his dashing good looks. Well, she's instantly, like, in a trance of his beauty and can't function at all. Mm-hmm. Now, does this happen in real life, Justine? No, I think, like, you see someone that's pretty, like, you do the thing where you look over and make sure they're not, like, look, don't make the eye contact (laughs) thing, you know, but you get a good look, (laughs) then you go about your day. I don't know, like, if you're on the train or something. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. But you don't just, like, there's a beautiful goddess or god or... Yes, let me stand... I was in Chicago one time, and seriously, I was crossing a street, and I swear I thought I saw Gail Garcia Bernal, like, cross <laughs> me, and I was just like, Wah! and I seriously did, it was like a movie where I, like, turned around. <laughs> well, because, you know, he's he is a celebrity and yeah. very handsome. He's on, he's high on my list. <laughs> he's high? There's a list. Hmm, do tell. He's top of my list. <laughs> Okay. Um, that's the only thing I could think of, like, if you see... If you see someone famous, but this yeah. dude was not famous. Right. This was, like, it was a weird kind of, like, her eyes were really wide and she was doing that creepy blinking thing that always reminds me of Kristen Stewart in Twilight. <laughs> and I'm just like, stop it! This is not, you're not being a person. Yeah. Though, it's nice to see... The woman sort of objectify the man in a way. Not necessarily objectifying, but checking him out. I do like the role reversal of this movie. Pretty much she spends the movie trying to play the cards to get him. Yes. And it's a a 
two female, one guy tri- uh, love triangle. Mm-hmm. Which isn't very common either. Um, okay, so then... We found a good thing about this movie! What? <laughs> oh. It's okay. the one. The one um, thing. So, Miss Astley comes out. She kind of sees Tony staring at... Okay, so Mrs. Astley... Ast- Ainsley. Mrs. Ainsley, um, <laughs> she, she's in, like, with, um, her attorney. Like, she has been friend-zoned. Yeah, but she, she declares her claws in him. Oh, yeah. She, she definitely has staken a claim upon this man who, this guy has no interest in her, aside from helping her out. Yeah, cause she's lonely, she's, her husband died in a hunting accident. I kind of got the whole she might be a gold digger vibe from her. Hmm. There's a good reason I'll bring it up later. Okay. Yeah, yeah, all right. Um, so she kind of sees Tony, and Tony's like, Ah, oh, put my secret glasses on with my trench coat and hide away. Yeah, in the corner. Um, so they go. They go home and get the ring out of the drain. It's another scene that's useless yeah where they talk about money and this is where i guess you're supposed to see brad rebuffing mrs ainsley but it takes way too long to get there okay so just edit people i don't know then there's a party oh the bazaar the giant bazaar with all the the everyone's different booths so, Mrs., uh, well... Oh, yeah, the fortune teller, fortune teller, she hurts herself. She falls. She's trying to get something off of the top shelf, and she falls off of the shelf that she is climbing on. And... She throws out her back or breaks something. Out her, breaks her back. Let's go with that. I don't know. And, um, so, yeah, Madame Zenobia is down for the count, but there's a party she's supposed to go to that... She's needs- supposed to talk to the lawyer to try and convince him to buy this land... That she was trying to convince uh, Mrs. Ainsley to buy. Why did she do? I missed that whole motive part. Because her informant, who the dude who works at the government, knows that the government wants to go after this land, and um, so she's trying to to win over the. She's trying to earn an extra buck because if she's right about there being oil or whatever on this land. She will get, like, a, a percentage of the commission. That was the whole point of being able to find the ring in the the pipe because mm-hmm. she was going to get a $100 commission for finding it on top of her fee for this, that. This is a movie you can't go to the bathroom because they don't follow up. <laughs> if you no, it is, like, if you are not there for the explanation, you are screwed. Yeah. Completely, because... Because they don't do a lot of showing and it's all in the tell, if you miss part of that or even miss picking up on few thi- a few things, you end up being in this kind of state of, what? What's happening? <laughs> Why are we doing this? Why are you talking? What? What? Yeah. What's happening? What's happening? Yeah, that was, that was me during the majority of the movie. Um, okay, so Miss, uh, Madame Zenobia gets the grand idea, of course, to send Tony in her place as her. Just put on the, the veil over her face. No one will be able to tell the difference. Just say the keywords to the people that are there, and everyone will believe you are psychic. But first, she has to go out and do her research on the people. Yeah, which was awkward. I thought it was funny. Some of it was funny, like, creepy, like, BDSM lady, that's what I'm gonna call her, because she's, like, playing hide-and-seek with her husband, and he really likes it. Like, I don't know, maybe that's not BDSM, but it's, it's kinky. (laughs) There's something kinky about that, and a little creepy. She had a phobia. I don't know what it was. It is a phobia, she was afraid of being afraid. I don't know. But I don't, I don't understand why that means that she hides. Right. And then, okay, she goes see that lady, and then she goes see Biff. Um, Butler dude. Yeah, yeah. And she wants to know if Brad has any um, birthmarks or any sort of distinguishable marks. And he tells her that he's got 
uh, buckshot wound. Buckshot scars. Buckshot scars in the shape of a heart on his bum. Yeah. Which, it, did they really, did they explain how he ended up with buckshot? Yeah. He was a young boy. He'd just stolen something from a farm. And then the farmer comes out, and the young boy's running away, so he's gonna get shot in the butt. Buckshot hurts, though. He should have not, he should have more than just a scar. Maybe he was far enough away. Maybe. Mm. Either that or the dude's not a very good shot. Um, so yeah, Tony goes to the bazaar in the place of, uh, Mrs. Zenobia, and she goes through an elaborate scheme of getting... Uh, Brad. Brad's attention. So she tells crazy, uh, kinky lady. Yeah, kinky lady, <laughs> that she um she tells her all these secrets, but she's possessed by a southern gal. A southern gal. That's her control. C- oh yeah, the control. This would this made no sense as to how it would hide her voice or why. She really needs to, because do people really recognize those no. voices after one meeting? No. Because she didn't want the people to recognize her voice, because she just went and saw them, so she... And also, if anybody had seen or been to Madame Zenobia before, they would know that she had a different voice. So she had to pretend she was a medium that had a spirit taken over her, so she spoke with accents. Yeah, it doesn't... That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, so yeah, she tells the lady to go get the guy who has the buckshot heart scar. And so she brings it over to Mrs. Ainsley, who's there with Brad, and Brad sees it, and he's just like, that's mine. So he goes and sees Madame Zenobia, our gal Tony in disguise. Yeah, Zenobia 2.0. Um, but she, he meets with her... She tells him that he needs to buy land, but, but he... Go ahead. At this time, she's controlled by... The engine. Ugh. Yeah. Some racist, uh, Native American impression she does. I don't know. I... I kind of forgot about it. I blocked it out, or I just didn't They care. kept bringing it up. <laughs> they did! And I don't know why. There were a lot of weird references... Racism is, was a lot different than what we have today, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Because today you would, you would be called out for it, and you would potentially lose a lot of business. Well, yeah, like, Adam Sandler tried to pull similar things recently. Yeah, and his entire, like, the entire Native American cast walked off. Mm-hmm. Because it was disrespectful, and... I don't know if Netflix is going to release that movie. I hope they don't. Because it was for them. He has a five-movie deal with them. Or whatever. We're going off of tangents on this podcast. This is Tangent City for this movie. Okay, so she tells him to get this land, because there's going to be oil on it, to get this land deal. Yeah, but he's already gotten it. Yeah, so he's like, ah, you are so slow, you psychic, you big fake. So... She tells him that he's going to meet a girl tomorrow at a restaurant, and she's this redhead girl who will be eating an apple. Yeah. And so he's like, whatever, peace out. Yeah, it gives her, like, a dollar, and it's just like, peace out, let me go through this curtain and get the fuck out of here. But, uh, then he's in, okay, I don't know if we want to tell the long version or the short version of... Eventually they go on a date. Well, the short version is she manipulates, uh, he's the attorney of the restaurant, somebody at the restaurant that she goes to and fakes a lawsuit, so she kind of manipulates the situation where he will show up to a restaurant, and she is sitting there eating an apple. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but he instantly is like, oh, I believe, I'm a believer, I see this, this is happening. I'm totally in love with this chick because the crazy one, to- the crazy woman with the veil told me to. Yeah, he takes her driving, they talk, they have a flat tire, they talk. Nothing happens in those scenes. No, they just talk. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, it's funny because that's what we really, really liked about uh, His Girl Friday. And we... we well, at least me, I really liked those strong dialogue scenes where 
everything was progressing within the dialogue. It wasn't necessarily that things were happening, but I think there was a, maybe it's because in this, that's the main, that was not even the main source, that was the only source of what was telling the story was their dialogue. Mm-hmm. And it's just draining, man. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't witty, it wasn't very, like, it didn't have the timing that His Girl Friday had. The charisma wasn't there. The chemistry wasn't there at all. And I don't... There's just something about it that is really different. Okay, so, um... So he... So there, so he's driving her and he offers to take her home, of course. Yeah, and she keeps rebuffing every offer to take her home. Yeah, because, of course, she lives at Madame Zenobia's where he's been... And she can't go back there, or the jig is up. Yeah, she did not fully think this through. No. Um, so she has him go to a different apartment, and he follows her in, and she's like, here's my elevator, and he's like, I'll go up with you, so he follows her up, and he's, she's like, well, here's my apartment, and he's like, won't you go in? And she's like, uh... And then he's like, perhaps the door is unlocked, and he opens the door, and she's like, bye, and she goes in. And there's a couple in there already, and they're arguing because the guy's a drunk. <laughs> yeah, there were like 60 uh, champagne bottles that were just splayed across the uh, the the table in the in the entire living room. This whole situation with that apartment that went on so long, like every like we went back to it three times, as we will now discuss. And yeah, it's- because the oh okay, so when they get up to the fifth floor, this old lady comes up with her dog and goes into the apartment across the way. Mm-hmm. And then... The couple inside has found her, and of course the wife thinks that this is some floozy that the husband has been with and rips her clothes off. Yeah, like, totally shreds her dress up. Yeah, and kicks her out. And, of course, the old lady across the hall is like, whoa. Yeah, the old lady across the hall is, like, that crazy busybody who doesn't... Yeah, she's into everybody's business. Yeah, she's the one who sits at the window and just watches her neighbors. Mm-hmm. And it's a little creepy and strange. And that poor dog must go on so many different walks <laughs> yeah. without having to pee in New York. Well, it's gonna be fun for the puppy. Yeah. Okay, so then, um... I guess. Mr. Kavanaugh, Brad, he wants to send her flowers. Uh, he, he likes her a lot. Oh, yeah. He really digs her. So he wants to send her flowers, so he gets Biff to go to the apartment we mentioned with flowers. He believes that Tony is living with her old aunt that she has to read to every night. Which is why she can't go out on dates at night, which is not true because she has to be a psychic at night. Yeah. She has to work. Um, and then, oh yeah, he brings the flowers over, he gives the flowers to the husband, and is just like, these are from Mr. Kavanaugh. For the lady of the house. Yes, thank you for that lovely afternoon. Yes, now the husband thinks that the wife is cavorting, and he hits Biff with the flowers, and... Yeah, and, uh, so Biff brings the flowers back to Mr. Kavanaugh's apartment, where Mrs. Ainsley... I think they were at Mrs. Ainsley's. Were they? I thought they were at his apartment. I don't know where anybody lives. (laughs) It could be wherever. It was. It was. They could be standing on the street. Who knows? Yeah. Well, they obviously were in a studio. Mm -hmm. We know that. Um, But. But Brad is like hiding this dating from Mrs. Ainsley. Yeah, I don't know why, because he clearly states that he has no interest in her. Yeah, but he does feel bad that she's, like, lonely. I don't know. But he's hiding it. He's hiding this whole thing from her. Yes. So he himself goes to the apartment, um, and, of course, he goes, I'm Mr. Kavanaugh, da-da-da-da, and the guy's like, of course, you're Mr. Kavanaugh, and he punches him in the face. Yeah, and then we're done with that gag. That, yep. that was a tired old gag. That was so long-winded. Well, I mean, it's like they were trying to play off of the rule of threes of comedy, where the first time it's kind of funny, the second time it's it's sort of funny, and then the third time it's really funny. Mm-hmm. But it got worse every time, because they had the same setup. It was the old lady was out there, she was watching with her dog at every moment, 
And it was just anger after anger after anger in every situation. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that funny. Maybe if they threw a pie. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, maybe instead of him throwing the boxes of flour, or hitting Biff over the head with the boxes of flour, open the box and just start, like, shredding the flowers. Because it kind of was, it was weird, but in a way it was funny-ish that she ripped her dress, uh, Tony's dress when she first walked out. It was drastic and over the top, but Tony treated it in a funny way. Yeah, she had a funny, you know. So, if that were, if the funny way was, like, if it was Biff treating the flowers getting getting hit over his head in a funny way, maybe it would have been better. If you had a a funny reaction from the characters that we know. Right. It would have come off as that gag. Mm -hmm. Instead, it just comes off flat. You're right. You're right about that. Um... So Tony's doing some more stalking of Brad, of course, and she she goes to his work and runs into him at work, like, goes into the same elevator as him and and whistles deep in the heart of Texas, because that's their little... That guy. I did not get. I am, I am Can, so sorry, Midwest. I don't understand Ashley Texas. Ashley doesn't know deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> I don't know where her schooling went wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I went to the same... Well, I went to the... My college was your same one as you. You gotta watch uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I've seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Well, you gotta watch it again. Is it happening in Pee-wee's Big Adventure? I don't know. Remember he goes to the Alamo. I don't have any oh recollection. I, I, I'm I sorry. I block out Texas. Well, yeah, who wouldn't? <laughs> Poor Texas. So unloved. So violent. Okay, so Tony's in the elevator and... um. Brad's like, I went to your apartment and I saw your aunt, and your aunt is a man. <laughs> he needs to shave. Yeah. Um, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I never lived there. I'm sorry, I was confused. I went to the wrong building, and da da da, da. I'm from Texas. And um, he was like, I am not buying it for a little bit, and then he totally bought into it. Did he said he's gonna beat her? Yeah, he like... Pulled her into the the little turndial, uh, Turn, yeah, the turnstile revolving door, revolving door that has a word or name. <laughs> oh my god! But like in public, in a public place, he's like, "I'm going to murder you." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and no one, no one around them questions that. Like, it's just domestic okay. violence. Yep. But instead, he takes her dancing. <laughs> Which is apparently the equivalent of beating her to death. I am going to murder you so hard on this dance floor <laughs> with my sick moves. <laughs> Ashley died. Because <laughs> that's the only way that that makes sense. <laughs> I just want him to start the scene saying I'm going to murder you and then immediately cut to them on the dance floor and say with my sick moves. Is this... If this is in public domain, it is. I will do that for you. <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> yep. Okay. That will happen. Watch the Twitter. Please follow us at cutawayspodcast.com to see this wonderful video I'm making. <laughs> okay. So since it's the only, like, respectable country club around or something, Mrs. Ainsley's also there and sees them dancing. Yeah. Well, no, she doesn't see them dancing. She sees them sitting down down for lunch. Yeah. And she is visibly angry. Yeah, she turns into super high school caddy girl. Yeah. Like, Like, she's there with her friend. She's like, oh, no. This ain't gonna (laughs) happen on my watch. Mm Mm-mm. So she gets the waiter to send uh, Brad a note, and it's just like, oh, I love your guest, or I don't know. What your is your uncle. Yeah. Your old uncle. Oh, because I guess he must have lied to her and said that he had to go out to a meeting with an uncle. Maybe. I don't know. That was never... Maybe. They did so many things, like, off screen that they would reference. Yeah. Ugh. I wonder if this movie was longer. Ugh. And it was just cut down. I don't. Universal bought it from Paramount. I don't know why. 
I don't know. I don't understand. So, yeah, and then she gets up to leave and, of course, waves at him and they wave. You know, you know that wave. She does the bitchy wave. Yeah. The bitchy, like, high society, not even really high society, it's just the bitchy wave. Yeah. Where you do the thing with your fingers. Yeah, and your you little have- fake smile. Yeah. That, that's that's the bitchy wave. <laughs> um, and Tony's like, oh, you and Mrs. Ainsley, huh, or something, or gets him talking about her, and he explains how her, her husband died and whatever, and that she said that they would eventually get together like the husband wanted them to get together. But this is where I thought she was, this is like the gold digger thing, mm-hmm. where she she got the money from her husband, her husband dies in a suspicious hunting accident, and she's... Her, or his friend, who is the lawyer, is, um, attractive, and she has, she really wants him, and tells her, or tells him all these lies about stuff that her husband has said, Mm -hmm. and feeds into the whole, well, I'm lonely, you must come and, like, help me, I'm a poor old woman and, well, not even old, I'm a poor woman who just can't, can't handle life. Yeah. Um, so then Tony gets really mad about this, because she's like, don't you see that she's playing you, I guess? In no such words. Yeah, it was just like, well... She didn't care for their association. Yeah, but uh, it was just weird. It wasn't like they... It wasn't like Tony knew that, um, about the note. It wasn't like she knew that Mrs. Ainsley had this crush on her. Maybe she picked up on the bitchy smile and the bitchy wave, but... It was something in that, what he said about the the ex-husband saying that they could get together. I don't know. But he was like, I'm I'm not interested her in her that way. Yeah. Just I don't know, she about got it. mad, just like, get the woman mad and get her out of there. That yeah, was- so she storms off and hit, runs into the waiter, who is the same waiter who she inexplicably, inexplicably got fired from the first restaurant with the whole rat con. Or mouse con. And she runs into him. He's carrying this tray. And he saves it. But of course, just like every pun, he goes to follow her. He runs into the same waiter and he drops it. Yeah, Brad pushes him and he drops it. Yeah. Um, so then um, Mrs. Ainsley goes to the psychic. Who is, of course. Now it's Tony. It's still Tony. Yeah. She asks for advice about how to... Get Brad to marry her. Well, yeah, how to move things along. To marriage. Yeah. How to make a man move things towards marriage faster. That's how she described it. Tony, at this point she says she has a sore throat, so she's writing everything on a chalkboard. And is telling her... To go away. Go away, make him miss you, you should cry and faint, and then you should tell him that you're going to kill yourself. Yeah, if he doesn't, if he doesn't come to the country with her, mm-hmm. she'll kill herself. Yep, and of course, Miss Ainsley's like, that sounds weird, but okay, you're the psychic. I trust you, you've never steered me wrong before. And so she instantly does it. It's not like, she instantly goes out of town, and then is calling the next day. Like, it's not even, there's no time in between. Like, make him miss you? Oh, he could not miss you in the 12 hours that he did not get a a phone call from you. Yeah, I know. This movie had a real issue with time and saying it was going to do something at some point, then immediately doing it. Yeah. But it, it, and immediately doing it, but not showing it. Right. Not even (laughs) showing it. Just that thing happened. Remember we talked about that? Like, Previously to this cut? Yeah. Yeah, okay. No, I don't remember anymore. Mm-mm. So, uh, Brad's at work and his receptionist, he's, uh, she says that he's got a message as for Mrs. Ainsley and she's gonna kill herself. Yep, that's, ex- she says it so matter-of-factly for how stigmatized suicide is yeah. in American society. She said it so off the cuff, like, it was just a thing that was going to happen. Yeah, and I don't know what happens. Well, then Tony calls, and she says, Hey, I'm free tonight. 
and gets him all excited. Yeah, he's super excited now. He's, he's dancing. Yeah, he's like, sweet, I got a date tonight. But then the government man comes. Yeah. And says, yo, bro, we got a warrant for your arrest or you're indicted. Yeah. Um, you need to go see the judge right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about that shady land deal. Yeah. But he goes to the judge and finds out that he has been... The government has pressed charges under the guise of sabotage. That he sabotaged their deal and stole this land out from under under them. I'm glad you caught all that. I don't know if I'm right. I think I'm just making up connections so that it makes sense. Sure. Go with it. But he yeah. misses his date. Well, he's going to miss his date. He realizes that he's going to miss his date once the judge leaves and is like, I have a date tonight. Oh, I have one too. Sad face. Yeah, so he sends Biff to the restaurant where Tony is waiting in her very fancy dress. Mm-hmm. Which is a very pretty dress. Mm-hmm. I loved her little shawl, like, Yeah, super. her, like, the, the, it was almost like it was a part of the dress so that it could be wrapped around like a shawl. Yeah, because it was when, like a one-shoulder dress and then the and then the shawl like covered the other shoulder, which was see-through and sparkly. Yeah, but she could take off that shawl thing and it was still connected to the other strap. So it was kind of like a cape, kind of like the way that saris do. Mm-hmm. It, and was nice. it was very pretty. She had some good outfits. She did. <laughs> For how horrible this movie was, the outfits were awesome. Yeah, I loved her military-inspired number. <laughs> yeah, and her hats. Mm-hmm. She had some big hats. Yep. Not ones that I would want, but... It looked I, good for the era. Yeah, and I do like 40s hats. Mm-hmm. So, there's something nice about a nice wool hat. Um, I don't know, remember what happens, except Biff tells her that he's not coming, and then... This was... scene felt really long. Then there was a cake accident with the waiter. Yeah, his baked Alaska. Yeah, yeah. She gets upset and throws her lipstick on the floor. The waiter slips on it and he falls into his baked Alaska. And doesn't like it. That's the problem with this movie is they were adding these gags that had nothing. You're not getting anything from these scenes except for the gags. They had no point. Nothing happened. The gags had no point. Yeah, there was no point to anything. There was no point to this movie. It needs a serious rewrite. Well, it needed. It's, it was made. <laughs> <laughs> Let's remake it. Okay. We, well, remember in the beginning we did say that this was a movie that it was unpitchable to. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, where am I? Well, we're at the... She's getting ready to leave. And Biff is... Gets a note or something from... I don't know. I don't know what was going on at this point. He was, like, talking to the waiter. It stayed on him instead of going to her. Because then she goes to... She goes back to uh, Madame... Zenobia. Zenobia. I wanted to call her Zeroni, but that's Hulls. Um, She goes back to Madame Zeroni. I'm just going to say Mrs. Z's. And is about ready to go home and realizes that Brad is there because he wants to see the fortune teller because if he gets the fortune teller to confess to saying or to telling Mrs. Ainsley that she gave her that advice, it would... He would be cleared. Yeah, he would be cleared of a sabotage charge. And so there's this whole bit where Tony is trying to hide from Brad and the gun dude is trying to distract him and she writes on his car window and lipstick to not go to the country or else bad accident bad accident two accidents did she say two accidents yeah and there were two accidents oh i just saw bad accident he would get two accidents if he went so he leaves because she's not there and he wipes the message off the mirror or off the off the window and his tiny tiny car the tiniest car ever <laughs> was it tinier than my car It was like a toy. It was like a toy, like he had pedals on the bottom. (laughs) I guess that's true. I didn't really pay attention to his car all that much. It was so tiny. Um, So he he ends up ignoring the message because he still thinks it's kind of fooey. 
And he, he's kind of at the point where he's frustrated with uh, Mrs. Z's advice. And he needs to go to the country because otherwise Mrs. Ainsley is going to kill herself. Right. And it's all going to be horrible. And if she kills herself, then the government is going to go worse on him. And Yeah. There's a whole plot that doesn't... They could have made an entire movie out of this one plot point. Yeah, okay, so he's in his car, and he actually does get into an accident. He hits a watermelon truck. Yeah, and it gets hit violently in the back of the head with a watermelon. He, this this poor actor legitimately got hit with a watermelon in the head. I was writing notes at the time. It looked like it hurt. I was, I was stunned. Um, but then an ambulance comes... And he's in the ambulance, and then this tandem bike... That we're going super fast! Yeah, these two women on this bike, we're going too fast, and they swerve out in front of the ambulance, and the ambulance goes off the road, so there's the second accident. Yeah, they were going, like, 40 miles per hour on this bicycle. Like, there's no way humanly possible, even on a hill, that you would go that fast. Just no way. But, yeah, so he gets in two accidents and hurts his back really bad breaks his ribs. Oh, yeah, he breaks his ribs. And he's got a bump on the noggin from the watermelon. Yeah. But, uh, so he wakes up in, like, the doctor's office? Because it wasn't really a hospital. I think it's his... It's it's, it's the time where doctors visited you. Oh, okay. That's his place. Okay. So, yeah, he's there, and Mrs. Ainsley is there trying to take care of him. And Tony's there. Well, she finds out about the accidents at... Um, oh, yeah, she's reading the paper. Yeah, and she's like, maybe I am psychic. And I'm like, no, girl, just just stop this. Stop this now. Please finish this movie quicker. Because then we go through a whole sequence where to- or, uh, Brad and Tony and Joe go all throughout, go back and forth between the shooting gallery and trying to get into Mrs. Z's apartment because they need to find her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, they still need to find her for this whole court thing. Yeah. So, Brad, who has broken ribs, and Sam, <laughs> who watched this movie with us, kept pointing out that he would not be able to be walking or standing, but he kicks down a door. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I would be writhing in pain right he's just now. He's just holding his back a little. Yeah. He's like, quack! Yeah, he was holding his bra- back like a pregnant lady holds their <laughs> yes. back when they walk. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's not going to help your ribs. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, kicks the door down, and that's where Joe finds Tony's clothes. Yep, they go to the back room. And all of, co- of course, Tony's stuff is there, and Joe, Mrs. Ainsley, recognizes it, and she does that little, like, snooty poo face, like, I got you. Yeah, like, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna outright tell him, mm-hmm. but, yeah, I know, bitch, I know. Yeah, and she keeps on, like, making all these snoot remarks about, like, oh, the state of someone who lives there is, this is terrible. terrible. Yeah, it's so smelly and awful and ugh. Yeah, that was gross. Yeah. The apartment wasn't even that bad. So, okay, so here's the thing. They go their separate ways for reasons... Beyond their control. Um, but Mrs. Ainsley goes back to the shooting gallery because she sees that when they were there that the boy who works there recognized Tony. Yes. Um, so she goes back there to flirt with the shooting gallery guy. Now, she's holding a gun. She's very comfortable with the gun, but in the beginning... She said she was afraid of guns because of the husband dying in the hunting accident. Oh, I completely forgot about that. So that's why I'm saying that supports your gold digger theory. She totally killed her husband. (laughs) I am totally down with that. She's a serial killer. She's going to kill Brad. She's like the Black Widow. Oh my God, this makes this better. She is the ori- she's the original Black Widow. She was a Russian spy. I'm going with it. Dang. We're going to make an entire new movie based on this where she is the Black Widow. Mhm. <laughs> Irrational excitement right there. No, it's good. Um so she gets whatever story from the guy she's flirting with. Um then Mrs. Zenobia is healthy again and she's all packed up to go because Tony has told her that all these people are after her. Yeah. Um but then Tony then Mrs. Zenobia is of course like don't tell the police, don't do this and 
whatever you do, don't go over there. Yeah. <laughs> don't open that door. I was like, dude, who would fall for that? Oh, she does fall for it. She opens a door, and it's oh. a closet, and they push her in and lock her in. Yeah, it was, ah. Uh, it's one of those, we've gone, we've done so, the, the last couple of movies we watch have had decently strong female characters. Mm-hmm. And there, it hasn't been horrible, but this was just straight up bad. Mm-hmm. This was not funny. This was like, how would you fall for that? It is not that, it is not that, or it is that obvious that that was a, a con. Like, Girl, you were way better at conning than those two were, <laughs> to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. And you're falling for that. Oh, be smarter. All the characters were idiots. Yes. Bottom line. Yes. Um, that was horrible. So she's banging on the door, and Mrs. Ainsley comes up, and she hears the bang, and she opens the door, and she says, You can't have him. Mrs. Ainsley, too. Tony, Tony she, yes. She says, you can't have him. I know what you're doing, and you can't have him. He's mine. Yeah. And I love that she's like, um, here's your broom. Oh, yeah, she says, so, uh... Tony. Tony to Mrs. Ainsley basically says that whatever, like, you can go, like, sweep him up or something. Not sweep him up. She's... She's calling her a witch. Yeah, she's calling her a witch with a B. Yeah. I don't remember the wording, though, but it ended with, and here's your broom, and she hands her the broom from the closet. Yeah, shoves it in her face. Yeah. It was awesome. Sort of. Um, so then Tony goes to the government people and confesses it all, straightens the story out, and but she's all sad. She didn't want to do that because she didn't want Brad to know that she was lying to him. Yeah, that she was also, she was Madame Zero- uh, Zenobia. Zenobia 2.0. Yeah. But she has forsaken... Whatever chance she has at the relationship right now, just to save him from going to jail and yeah. paying a large fine. She saves the poor damsel in distress. But so then she's sad and she goes back to her place to pack up. But then Brad's there. Yeah, there was. I did not know that this was going to be the ending of the movie, and there was no resolution at all. Like none of the char- Well, none of the characters really changed. No, no, there was no resolution to the story. It just happened. It was just a random stringing of events together. And it had no pacing. It had no flow. It had no chemistry. And then they kiss. And yeah. I'm like, what is, ha-? like. That's what happens. How can She's- you say these horrible things early on about how fortune tellers are fakes and rats and lowlifes and then be totally okay that she was one, like, it's flip-flopping. It's like, stick by your convictions. If that's something that you felt that strongly about, then you should realistically be more angrier, or angrier than he was. Did they talk at all, or did he just kiss her? He, they started talking and said something along the lines, she said something along the lines of, I understand now that you can't be with me, or whatever, and then he's like, you think that's what I'm here for, or whatever, and then they kiss. Yeah, I don't remember anything about this. Yeah, and then it's just, it's all of a sudden they kiss, and uh, Mrs. Ainsley is there, and is like, what's going on? What's going on? And Biff is just like, yeah, he's busy. And then we see, we, as soon as he says, and, or uh, as soon as he said Mrs. Cavanaugh is busy, or Mr. Cavanaugh is busy, it cuts to the end. Yep. That's, that's how it ends. Yep. They got their three second kiss in. <laughs> yeah. Sam thought it was uh, longer than three seconds, but... Three seconds is a lot of time. Most people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. So that was the movie. What do you think, Ashley, about controlling your fate? <laughs> well. No, if if you could change your fate, <laughs> would you? Seeing as I have no knowledge of what my fate is, or my feet, <laughs> your fate, my fate is, we're very sorry, Irish people, we love you, come on the show. <laughs> I think they were Scottish. <laughs> we love you, Scott. Hey, I am marrying a Scottish person. <laughs> I will have a Scottish last name. <laughs> Don't make fun of my people. 
They're his people. No, ah! no people. Uh, I think it was... If I could change my fate, I don't think I would. Because most of my life has taught me that if you desperately try so hard to change something, it's normally not going to work out. If you try to change something for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. it's not going to work out. It's You're going to cause... The thing that you're trying most to prevent to happen anyway. The opposite will happen. Yes, the opposite will happen no matter how hard you try. So if you just kind of let things lie and just kind of find your inner peach tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one's going to get that, but I don't That's care. That's a saying Ashley and I have. <laughs> Watch How to Train Your Dragon and learn it. That was Kung Fu Panda. Oh, damn it! <laughs> Well, this episode, we're sorry for this episode. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't think trying to change your fate is... You're not going to be successful. You're not going to be successful. It's going to happen anyway. If you ignore it and just kind of see how the chain of events kind of happen to lead you to that result, I think you're going to be better off because you'll learn why that thing needed to happen. You learn why you needed to break up with that person or why you needed to um, leave your current situation or break free from the, the predestined, not necessarily predestined, but the uh, the chains that bind you. Mm-hmm. It, it, you will have a better understanding of life, I guess is where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. And has there ever been a guy you had the hots for that you manipulated situations so that you could go on a date? (laughs) And do you think that's good advice? No, that is not good. Because manipulating somebody from at the beginning of your relationship, they're eventually going to find out and they're going to, most, most people are going to be terribly hurt by that. Mm -hmm. Most, Most people do not like being manipulated. They do not find that attractive or okay at all and as somebody who has been manipulated before it's like the most painful thing that you can go through because you believe you believed at the time that those decisions were your decisions and that you were in the right and you were doing something on not necessarily on your own but you were making up your own mind without having any influence aside and then you find out oh this is what this is what their plan was all along this is what they did it's not necessarily right in that sense. But I mean, there. what about in 10 Things I Hate About You? I mean, she gets mad and then she forgives him. I think because he recognized that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think if we're comparing this movie to 10 Things I Hate About You to that situation, like the whole manipulation situation, Tony never saw that that was wrong. She never saw that what she did was something that she shouldn't have done. She, like, tried to apologize, but I don't think she truly recognized it. She didn't feel remorse? No. I felt like she she was sorry for hiding the fact that she was this fortune teller more so than she was sorry for manipulating. Their get-together. Yeah. I think that... Actually, I don't think he ever really finds out that she manipulated him into going on a date with her. They did say that there were two Madame Zenobias. Yes. I mean, he doesn't know who he got his information from, but I think if he thinks really deeply about it, he will figure out. Yeah, there would, we just didn't see that. We didn't see that, that, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You moment where she knows and she realized that, because in 10 Things I Hate About You, uh, she realizes that it may have started out for the wrong reasons, but he, he he understands that what he did was wrong, and he is deeply saddened by that, and she misses she misses him. Mm-hmm. And they had more of a connection later, like, as he grew to realize who she was, and he, she grew to realize who he was. They kind of grew together. Um, that it may have started out for the wrong reasons. He's sorry now. He's not gonna do it again obviously seeing as Heath Ledger's performance in almost crying in that classroom he's deeply remorseful I did not feel that from I just I felt like it was just words like it's Mm -hmm. a fake apology it's not really meaningful 
facts in the movie not realistic of human emotions at all. No, it didn't really... And I think that's been a problem with a lot of what we've watched is they're billed as romance, but you don't see love. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you see great partnership or great appreciation for one another, and I think that that is an aspect of love that we have forgotten that we don't we don't think about as much or we don't cherish this day and age as much we kind of have these pre-designed expectations for who needs to do what and if you're in love with somebody you're in love with somebody we don't talk about love as what it is it's it's a complex thing it's not just one emotion there's many many facets of love in my opinion mm-hmm. what do you think about what about what this movie kind of set up about manipulation and using it as a way to to get in dude's pants. Um <laughs> well, I give props to the gal. She she's she's a very tough gal to like take control of her situation and go that's what I want. Yeah, she was active in her story. Mm-hmm. She wasn't passive. Brad was more of a passive character, mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, you're right. It's definitely wrong after the point of, like, you know, getting a first date. To continue lying, like, you can't tell him where you live. You can't tell him all these facts about you. It's like, there's, it's no real way to start a relationship. And like I said, she did not think it all the way through beyond, mm-hmm. like, getting that first date. Which, um, I guess if she hadn't done that, I don't know how she would have gotten a date with him, maybe starting, I don't know, some, some other way. They had no ways to cross paths. Maybe. Unless... Well, I think if instead of being so caught up in staring at him and watching him, maybe she could have been a little bit more forward thinking and just gone up and say, "Hey, yeah, I don't, I don't know where the whole social standards were or where that, why that is like frowned upon or is kind of a stigma of a woman going up and saying, "Hello, I find you attractive. Do you not? How? What do you think?" Yeah, that would be being very forward. I think maybe if she, like, impressed him with her shooting or what, because he went over there and he did some impressing, we didn't even talk about, like, he went over there and he did some shooting and he shot those figures oh, yeah. of Mussolini and Hitler. And the, the Japanese emperor. Yeah. I mean, like, if she was there and she was saying, hey, that's some good shooting and then she does shooting, you know, they yeah, have like a common s- interest and they could start talking and bonding. Yeah, then I guess that would have been a good point instead of this whole charade. Yeah, it, it feels like there were a couple different times where this charade didn't necessarily need to happen. Like, he, or she could have, after she, like, had realized, or after he insisted on taking her to her, her apartment... She could have broken down and just been like, actually, this is where I live. I think he would have been far more accepting. He really liked her at that yeah, point. Yeah, he he thought she was pretty cool. She did open up about um, her life on the farm and stuff like that. So, obviously, yeah. he knows that she's not this rich woman. Right. Their, their walk to the to the tire place must have been great that we didn't see. Yeah, that we didn't see. That way they just walk out of frame and obviously all of a sudden they're back, they're driving again. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't... I don't know. So... It had good elements. It just wasn't structured. Right, yeah. Very eloquently. But yeah, no, that... That just puts you a point. No, no need for the manipulation. No, no need for it at all. You, there were several different ways and several different times where she could have. Yeah, because like, like I didn't even call it a love triangle, except for the two gals both love the same guy, but he did not. Oh yeah, like, you, you were calling it a love line. <laughs> a line where he's like in the center point and they're at the opposite ends. You yeah, know? <laughs> and they're fighting for the same. They're the common interest, but. Yeah, he wasn't egging either one. Like, he was deeply interested in Tony. He didn't want to hurt Joe's feelings. He clearly established a boundary mm-hmm. with her, and she was the one who was just completely ignoring it. Yeah. So, in a sense, Joe was trying to do the same thing Tony was doing. Yeah, people did not respect people's boundaries. <laughs> nope. 
Hmm, that sounds familiar. And that is the lesson of love, is respect. Yes. Mm -hmm. And no means no. That's right. (laughs) So what do you rate this movie, Ashley? Um, I'm gonna give it a one and a half giant pizza looking hats. (laughs) That's a good rating. I'm going to give it two crystal balls. Oh! (laughs) You just dropped that one down. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Mic dropped. <laughs> that was lovely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next week we will be watching 1944's Casanova Brown. Is, is this like Casablanca? No, I've read the description. It's 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 horrifying. <laughs> oh God. You oh you just wait. <laughs> oh oh my God. Okay, so. You can listen to us and download us at our podcast website. I don't know why I said podcast <laughs> website, but hey, that's a thing. Um, it's thecutaways.com. Uh, visit us, and you can download us directly onto your desktop, phone, laptop, whatever. iPod. Oh, yes, your iPod. Um, your Zune, your whatever, your tablet. Do Zunes even exist anymore? Can you, like, still add things? I don't know. <laughs> Um, but please, 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 please leave us a comment or a review or a rating at iTunes. Yeah, um, and just shout us out on Twitter. We are there at, at Cutaways Podcast. Yep. We're always tweeting. We um, try to. She does better job at it. Than I find I lots do. of fun gifts. Yes, you do. <laughs> and articles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... Oh yeah, and on like us on Facebook. We're there. That's where you'll if you like us on Facebook, you'll get the you'll see when the episodes go up. And yeah. Subscribe on iTunes, whatever. Find us, we're there. We're yeah. on social media. Yeah. That has been established. <laughs> Alright. Well, catch you next week, people.